Now hear the word of the Lord, beginning in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sojourn. My name is Dodds. I'm one of the pastors here. It's wonderful to be with you on the Lord's Day. Um, who, who sweated it out yesterday with the Astros? A show of hands. Okay. A good, a good portion of you. My goodness. My goodness, what a long game. Okay. But so glad that we won. That's, that's worthy of celebration. So, this morning, we're continuing our series in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in last week's text, Paul gives some incredible confidence to the church. He tells them that his imprisonment actually hasn't slowed the spread of the gospel. It it has actually done just the opposite. People have been emboldened all the more to preach the good news of the kingdom in the face of opposition and imprisonment. And he says that he doesn't know if it will be deliverance or death for him, but that that doesn't matter. The gospel is being proclaimed. God's kingdom is being built. The glory of Christ is spreading. These things are worthy of rejoicing because they are the ultimate end for which all of them are striving. As we open our text today, the one thing that Paul is concerned about is that the Philippians conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whether Paul is released to minister to them again or is restrained from visiting them by imprisonment or death, he desires this, to hear of their united endurance bound together by a common struggle and suffering for the truth of the gospel. So let's read again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, 
I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So practically speaking, Paul is giving the Philippians really the keys to victory here amidst suffering. He's, he's giving them the conditions for world conquest. And the essential condition that he speaks of here is unity. We have this mindset that if we just put truth out there, that people will come to it. But that, that really isn't so. Truth is more holistic than just right opinions or right understandings, right takes on things. The practice of truth, the living of truth, this, this requires unity. Here's something else we should notice. The phrase manner of living here in Greek is nearly identical to the phrase active citizenship. Paul is telling the Philippian church that they should let their citizenship, their public life, their, their practice truth be worthy of the gospel. And there's an emphasis, as we just said, there's an emphasis on citizenship. And this is significant because if you remember, Octavian had made Philippi a Roman colony and therefore every person in the city was granted Roman citizenship, which gave them privileges and rights that they didn't have before. But Paul says that a tension exists now between Roman citizenship and heavenly citizenship. And the, the opposition that they will face is going to arise from the contrast of these two, of this dual citizenship. Caesar was deified by the Romans. Every public event would have been held in the name of Caesar. He was even sometimes referred to as Lord and Savior. So Paul says, if you live as heavenly citizens, pledging your allegiance to King Jesus and not to Caesar, opposition will come. And that's why he tells them to make sure that their public faith, their public life is in line with the gospel so that they can stand firm side by side in unity of mind in the unity of spirit of God. It's important to remember again also that Paul is writing to a Roman colony populated by military families. Presumably a number of people in the church had a military background. And they could understand standing, this, this idea of standing firm, side by side, disciplined in the face of opposition. There's a Roman battle formation called the, the Testudo. I think we have a, a slide of that. Yeah. Can people see that? The Testudo. <clears throat> Soldiers would stand side by side in rows where the first line and the outward, air, the outward edges would build a wall by holding up shields, and everyone else would make a protective roof, sort of a protective roof covering with their shield. And there was just enough of a, of a window in between each shield for a spear or a sword. 
This is a picture of standing firm side by side. This would have made sense to those with a military background. Sojourn, we're called to stand in opposition to the world and its proposed virtues and ethics. For, for us to be heavenly citizens is to see Jesus as king and to see every other king as been, having, as been, been given a demotion. By following King Jesus, we are immediately out of step with the rest of the world. We break with earthly ethics. As Paul says, when, when we hold firm to the truth of the gospel and one spirit and in one mind, it spells destruction for those who reject Christ, but it spells salvation for those who follow him. And in 2022, there are still plenty of ways to break from the virtues and ethics of our day. There's still ways to challenge the ethics and virtues of our day. For instance, Try telling a conservative that neglecting the poor is grounds for divine judgment. Or that King Jesus will one day confiscate all our guns. Try telling a progressive that all human beings will have to give an account for what they did with their bodies. Or that feminism has had more than a few negative consequences in our world. When we don't yield on something that we could yield on, it actually does frighten and challenge our opposition. If we can be talked out of the issue on abortion or gender, that would be just great for an unbelieving world. They would not be afraid of that. But when we are there to stand against such things, our enemies are afraid. Christ is both against worldly culture and its transformer. As the church, we challenge and transform public life precisely because we confront the world as a people loyal to a different king. Paul says that such things will lead to our suffering, but that that suffering for the sake of Christ is the way of the cross. And it is the path to maturity. It is the way of glory. And it is communion with other saints and with Christ himself. And so it begs the question, where are we as a, as a church? Where are we failing to stand against worldly virtues and ethics? Where are we failing to stand on the gospel and heavenly virtues, where are we failing and where are we doing those things? Where are they present and where is it absent? Let's keep reading. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This passage doesn't really feel necessarily all that controversial. 
But this passage, this, at the point of time in this letter's writing, it's actually a direct assault on the society in which Paul was living because Rome was built on brutality and self-aggrandizement. Millions were killed. Millions more were enslaved. And that was something to boast in as a, a sign of might. The free Roman man was above everything that Paul describes here. He would have, been, he would have prized strength and power, status and will. He would have rejected humility, love and empathy and meekness. In other words, the public life that Paul encourages here was was pretty revolutionary. And Paul appeals to them. He's, he's given them instructions to stand firm and resolute, but he also pulls their, their shared life together. As you're standing firm, as you're standing firm together against, against enemies of Christ, are you enjoying encouragement in Christ? Do you find comfort in his love and the love of fellow saints? Do you know fellowship together in the Spirit? Does the affection and compassion of Christ exist in your shared life? These good questions for us to ask ourselves. Are these things present? Are we experiencing these things? Do we see these things? Do we, do we pursue these things with each other? If they are experiencing these things together, Paul says, then they should go even further. Pursue a greater unity of mind and attitude and love with one another through the means of humility. This is important. Through the means of humility and self-giving helpfulness. If we think about it, I think we have to acknowledge that everything survives by receiving someone else's self-giving. And everything reaches its perfection by self-giving outside of itself. Consider the lilies of the field, the ones that, that aren't anxious, as Jesus puts it. If we think about it, if we, if we put this in our minds, the lily thrives from the self-giving sun. Our son is very self-giving. It finds a home in the self-giving soil. It flourishes under the care of self-giving bees and butterflies and hummingbirds. And when it blooms, it in turn, in its flourishing, gives forth a Solomonic scent and beauty to every open eye more beautiful than Solomon adorned with every lily. So Jordan, there's, a, there's a fullness that we reach by receiving from others. And every one of us reaches a fullness through self-giving. In such an economy of humility and self-offering, people don't just live. They are perfected. They are made glorious and they're perfected by one another. Kids of Sojourn, will you give me your attention just for a moment? Give me your attention, let me see your eyes just for a moment. 
I want you to help with a conversation with your parents and with your parish, okay? I want you to, I want you to ask this question, and I want you to encourage your parents to ask this question and your parish to ask this question. Where are we giving of ourselves? Where are we giving of ourselves? And where are we standing firm side by side as people of a heavenly citizenship? Where are we standing firm? Where are we giving of ourselves? I'd love for you all to discuss that together. Let's keep reading. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is one of the, this is one of the climax passages in Scripture. It's called the, the Christ Hymn. And it's amazing to read. The entire gospel is, is right here in these, in these seven verses. The pre-existing Christ, the incarnation of Christ, the sinless life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the return of Christ. It's all here. It's astounding. This is the mind that Paul has been commending to us, the mind of Christ that is ours in Christ, which means that every one of us in Christ has been given everything we need in Jesus to be these kinds of people, this kind of body, a body that stands firm and side by side in the gospel in heavenly citizenship, a body that pursues unity, humility, and self-giving, not like the free Roman man who asserts his rights, but like the humble king who relinquishes his rights. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. A thing to be grasped. I used to read the word grasped here as if it meant understood. In other words, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing that was understandable. As if Jesus incarnated and said, look, I know the whole God, fully God, fully man thing is really hard to get your mind around. It's totally okay. It's supposed to be hard. That's how I read it. But the word, actually, the word here actually means taken or, or robbed. In the garden, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, but they were not equal with God. The serpent came to them and told them that they could be like God if they grasped the fruit. That was Adam and Eve's sin. It wasn't just disobedience, 
but a taking, a robbing, a grasping of equality with God. In Jesus, we have one who was equal with God, born in the image of man. The serpent came to him with the same test, and instead of grasping, he emptied himself. Instead of stealing, he relinquished. In doing so, he countered all the darkness that was born in the garden. He took on our darkness, the, the image of sinful flesh. Christ voluntarily gave up all his, his prerogatives and assumed the position of the servant slave, someone without any of the honor or riches or status that he possessed already by right. But Christ's emptying himself was far from a departure from divinity. In fact, it was a true manifestation of what is divine. The character of God is revealed in Christ, assuming the character of the servant slave. He, like a slave, took the path of obedience, the path of obedience to the cross itself, practically the most humiliating death imaginable. The annihilation of all dignity, status, honor, belonging. And in his disobedience, Adam had taken from the tree to grasp at equality with God, but in his obedience, Christ went to the tree not merely to reverse Adam's action, but also to reveal what God is truly like. In Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord of the universe, is revealed to be a humble God. Not condescendingly, actually a humble God. And so when we are called to adopt that mindset, we are imitating our master. We are following our king. And in so doing, we become partakers of that divine nature. Glory and godlikeness is, is found not in self-aggrandizement, but in humility and the path of service to others. And this doesn't make sense to our world. You don't become great by emptying yourself, by giving yourself. No, that's how you lose yourself. That's not the path to kingship. It's a path to obscurity. It's a path to foolishness. But on the contrary, the one who has all the power, all the status, all the riches, all the glory, relinquished it voluntarily. And because he did, he has been exalted. The way up is the way down. And because he did, everyone who calls him king will be exalted on the last day too. And because he did, because he has ascended, because he sits on the throne, every knee, even Caesar's knee, every tongue, even Caesar's tongue, will bow, will confess that he is Lord and Savior. May the life of our head, our elder brother Jesus, may it be mirrored in his body here at Sojourn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this gathering. We thank you for, Lord, the truth that your, that your covenant with us is strong because you are a keeper of promises.
and you are a keeper of your people. Lord, would you make us these kinds of people? Lord, may we be so assured by your spirit of the truth and beauty and goodness of the gospel that it's what the whole world needs. Would you make us so sure of that that we might stand against the virtues and ethics of the world that, that come to tell us that no, the gospel is actually is, is wrong, it's less beautiful, it's incomplete. And Lord, would you also, by your grace and, and this, this wonderful Christ hymn, by your spirit, the mind that you've given us of Christ, Lord, would you make us these kinds of people who are glad to relinquish our rights, to lower ourselves, to empty ourselves, because actually we become more like you in doing so. We become more like you, we become more godly as we lower ourselves and serve others to seek their good and not our own, to see their interests as important and not just our own. Lord, when we look at Christ, we see that very same thing. Jesus, you saw us in need. You still see us in need. And it doesn't stop you from giving yourself to us over and over and over again. May we be the kind of people that follow you and imitate you in that. We need your help. We need your help. We are weak, but you are strong. We are poor, but you are generous and rich. Help us, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.